When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you worked in the White House, right? I did. I did. This is Ned Price. Um, I was uh, a special assistant to President Obama on the National Security Council, but obviously that's uh, co-located with the uh, with the White House. So doing that kind of work, do you need a security clearance? You do. This week, Ned's been thinking about how difficult it was to get that White House gig. Even though he'd worked at the CIA for years, he still had to prove he wasn't a security risk. Getting cleared for this kind of work means filling out a 136-page form. And then there are the interviews with friends, neighbors. Every time an investigator would visit, I would get these calls. Are you in trouble? Are you are you on the lam? Uh, is everything okay? Because the investigator doesn't show up at someone's house and, and say, you know, we're looking at Ned Price for a job at the CIA, or even we're looking at Ned Price for a job uh, in the U.S. Intelligence Committee. Uh, they essentially just say, you know, we've, we're, we're taking a look at his background and we need to speak to you. And then they go through a series of questions. And these questions are pretty daunting. Uh, is his allegiance with the United States government? Has he ever been, been a member of a foreign terrorist organization? Has he ever sought to overthrow the U.S. government? There was this one time that Ned himself was given 24 hours to report to a government office building, submit to questioning. It turned out some research he'd done for his master's thesis had raised red flags with a security agent. He said, look, this isn't a huge deal, but let this be a reminder that we take these issues extremely seriously. Well, it just shows, too, how when you have a security clearance, your life is kind of constantly under the microscope and people may be going back and relitigating things you thought you were done with. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. This week, a White House whistleblower testified to Congress about what she called widespread problems in the security clearance system under President Trump. She kept a list of dozens of clearances that she had denied that ended up being approved by her supervisors anyway. And Ned heard that, and he was like, what was I doing for all those years? I think the sense is that it's almost like a slap in the face. Career officials almost live in a constant state of fear. Did what I tell my spouse last night, was that, was that classified? Can I speak about this upcoming travel? Did I misspeak when I was talking to my mother about my last work trip or my work day the other week? What it boils down to is that people are seeing a double standard. They are seeing a double standard between what they face as career officials and the accommodations that, by multiple accounts now, have been made for senior officials uh, within the White House and other institutions uh, that 
they could never avail themselves of. This isn't just personal for Ned. He says this week's news shows that national security secrets aren't as safe as they should be. And I know what you're thinking right now, which is, didn't we kind of already know this? But this week, we're getting details. And the details are pretty damning. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ned Price says when he was working at the White House, people were really, really aware of who had what kind of security clearance. This wasn't just a formality. Someone might pull you right out of a meeting in the Situation Room or the Oval Office if they were about to talk about something above your level. There would be assigned seats at the table. There would be people essentially standing guard at the door to make sure that you were on the list, that you had the access. Uh, beyond even having the access, you had a reason to be there, that your presence was actually needed. And obviously, we've heard very different stories from these White Houses, from this White House, I should say. Stories of a sort of open door policy to the Oval Office. Uh, I've heard stories of Ivanka Trump uh, just wandering in during the PDB, uh, of Jared uh, Kushner coming in and out during the PDB. That's the presidential daily briefing. The, the presidential daily briefing, where the most sensitive intelligence our government has collected Uh, both overnight and over the longer term, is briefed to the president uh, and to what is supposed to be his top aides. Hmm. But it seems to be, from everything I've I've seen and what's been reported at least, it seems to be a much less rigorous approach. So Congress sniffed out pretty early that there were some irregularities in how security clearances were working and how confidential information was being transmitted. And then once President Trump was in office— I think we saw this shift where people began noticing there were a lot of people with interim security clearances. These sort of like waved in, like, you can get access now and we're still evaluating whether you can get full access. How common is that? At the highest levels, it's it's uncommon, especially for a sustained period of time. It is not unheard of when it comes to uh, an administration that transitions into office that some of uh, the senior people and and the rung or two below them uh, would have interim clearances for a number of days or even even a couple weeks. Beyond that, it's increasingly and increasingly rare because interim security clearances only provide the barest level of protection. It's essentially a quick background check, and either this person is suitable at first glance or this person is not suitable. So it's a little bit of a rubber stamp. It's, it's, It's a rubber stamp. The one thing I saw, though, this is reporting on NPR, they said there's a backlog of hundreds of thousands of people who are waiting for a security clearance. And I wonder if the White House can make the case like, listen, we need this done. We can't wait around. And there's a lot of people online. So we need to cut the line. But there's a difference between cutting the line and putting your people to the front of the line and then skipping the process entirely. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with cutting the line, right? And putting senior White House officials in front of 
incoming deputy assistant secretary at the Department of Agriculture. Nothing against the Department of Agriculture. But you get the point. Uh, and, and that, I think, underscores the problem here. The White House did that. The White House skipped the line, as the White House should and did do in this case, and put their people first. But still, the process languished with these same individuals. And even though they were getting the full treatment, they had the full and probably nearly undivided attention of investigators and adjudicators, in some of these cases, from the reporting that I've seen, the decisions weren't forthcoming in a prompt manner. And to me, that suggests that this was not a question of resources. This was an issue of certain individuals having what we can assume to be very difficult, complex, or potentially even problematic issues in their backgrounds, whether, whether it's their financial background or personal background, or as we've learned this week, criminal backgrounds. <laughs> we have learned uh, from the whistleblower this week that, that criminal records, in some cases, uh, played into these overturned decisions. So it could be any number of things. I think some people are going to look at this story and say, this is just more of the same. Like, this is kind of what we expect, that this administration might be sort of waving people in, being a little bit looser with security clearances. Why should they pay attention now? Well, one incident of this, let's take Jared Kushner, whom the New York Times and other media outlets reported was specifically granted a security clearance by his father-in-law, the president of the United States, uh, overruling career professionals. That in and of itself should be a scandal. In my mind, is a scandal. Uh, that's someone who is deeply engaged uh, in any number of foreign policy issues. You know, that requires access to top secret, especially sensitive, even compartmented information. And for someone to be deemed ineligible for whatever reason, reasons we still don't know, I don't think, uh, not to be suitable for such information, that's a scandal. Uh, because it suggests that uh, there may be competing interests, there may be competing influences. Uh, that is a tremendous vulnerability. Uh, and that in and of itself is a scandal. So we've known for a while this is going on. We've been suspicious about it for a while. But what changed this week? Well, what, what changed this week, uh, more flesh was put on the bone. Uh, we had heard of cases that didn't follow standard protocol. The New York Times reported not all that long ago that President Trump overruled career officials in his own White House and ordered uh, General Kelly and his then White House counsel to grant Jared Kushner a security clearance, only to have them refuse, uh, and for then President Trump to do it himself. I believe as CNN reported that uh, Ivanka Trump's clearance uh, followed a similar pattern. And so that's two cases. But what changed this week was that the House Oversight Committee put forward a summary of the testimony of a White House whistleblower. That is to say someone who, in some cases, physically worked these cases uh, and had her adjudications, uh, that is to say her recommendations, overturned by people above her. In many cases, in 25 that she has documented, she recommended that White House officials in at least four to five of these cases, senior White House officials, not be granted a security clearance, only to find out down the road that 25 of them uh, had, in fact, been cleared for their clearance. You know, the White House has been pretty firm here. You know, they've come out with this memo saying that only three of the 25 individuals 
on this whistleblower's list were senior level White House employees. And only four or five of the people on this list prompted, quote unquote, very serious concerns. Does that make a difference? Uh, It absolutely makes a difference. I think it underlines for all of us just how out of touch and how haphazardly this White House seems to be treating these issues. I I mean, think about what they're saying. Only four to five officials presented serious issues that were ignored. But is there any chance that this system is overbuilt? I mean, the number I saw was 500,000 people waiting for a security clearance, millions of people who have them. That seems like a lot. Well, look, I think I think there is a case to be made that there can be reforms to the system. And I think this may well be another argument in favor of that reform. I would tend to look at what we've learned this week as unique to this White House, that we should treat these issues separate and apart from the broader issue with how we adjudicate clearances and how we protect classified information. I want to talk about something else. There's been some reporting that basically in the beginning, when Congress raised these issues of, you know, we're worried about security clearances, the White House just didn't even respond. And now they're responding, but they're responding quite aggressively, basically saying, sorry, this is our right to do this the way we want. And I wonder what you think about that. Well, for months, uh, the better part of two years, the White House didn't respond because it didn't have to. There were Republican majorities in the House and the Senate. Uh, Democrats didn't control the gavel in any of these oversight committees. Uh, And the White House was content to continue stonewalling. But two things changed. One, the Democrats won control of the House. Democrats now have the power of the gavel and the power of subpoena. And so Democrats now have the power to compel some of these documents that they didn't have before. But do they have the power to do anything other than compel? Like this security clearance issue is clearly an executive power. And it it makes me wonder whether it's going to make a difference. Well, it's an executive power. But what the Democrats said this week and what is undeniably true, especially after this week, is that there is a legislative element to this. Perhaps there are remedial measures that are necessary in the form of new legislation that essentially blocks a White House from doing what is undeniably dangerous for our national security. But the other element to this, an individual has come forward and has presented documentary evidence and her own, what sounds to me to be compelling testimony uh, about the broken process in this, uh, in this White House. The person Ned Price is talking about is Tricia Newbold, that whistleblower who works in the White House personnel office. She told Congress she thought the White House was overruling sound advice from career professionals like her about which staffers should get security clearances. Trisha Newbold may be the first, but she may not be the last person to come forward to speak of a process that is seriously in need of remedy and repair and perhaps even congressional remedy. Like a lot of whistleblowers, Trisha Newbold has a complicated relationship with her employer. It's just that her employer is the White House. She's reportedly been trying to address issues about office mismanagement for about a year. And last fall, she accused her office's former director of employment discrimination. Newbold is a person with dwarfism. She says her boss was actually placing security clearance documents out of her reach. You know, it it was just wanton cruelty in some ways. Uh, it, It sounds like what she was subjected to. 
she has told this story uh, before the committee, I believe, uh, where, you know, this this did happen in the previous administration, too, that files were placed out of her reach. But from her telling, it wasn't done intentionally. It wasn't done in a punitive form previously. And she informed her superiors that she couldn't access her files. And a senior White House official under the Obama administration immediately uh, went over to her office and said, these files need to come down and they need to come down now. And that was the end of it. Uh, What she has endured in this administration sounds very different. It sounds like it was both punitive and in some ways uh, cruel to prevent her from doing her job because from all accounts, she wanted nothing more than to do her job. She wanted nothing more than to come to the unbiased conclusions that, that are that are the bread and butter of what she has done every day for the past 18 years, uh, coming to a determination as to whether someone is or is not suitable for a security clearance. Ned Price, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Ned Price is a fellow at the New America Foundation. He was a special assistant to President Obama on the National Security Council staff. Before that, he worked at the CIA. And just a quick note of disclosure here, Slate collaborates with New America and Arizona State University on Future Tense, a project that explores the ways emerging technologies affect society, policy, and culture. All right, that's our show. You have been listening to What Next. I am the host, Mary Harris. My producers are Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. And if you want to share what you've heard here, I'm going to encourage you to do it on Apple Podcasts. Write us a rating. Write us a review. They make us feel good, but they also help people find the show. And that's more important, frankly. All right, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow.